This is the Diabolique Radio Show, and I'm your host, Stephen Slaughterhead, which, as it just so happens, is my real name. On this episode, we get to talk with director Joseph Kahn, who's got a new movie coming out, Detention. It's a great film, very entertaining. It's his first feature since Torque from back in 2004. You remember it was that crazy-ass motorcycle flick. Fun flick. A lot of people liked it. You know, it was one of those borderline films. Either you really liked it or you didn't, but it was a strange one. And these eight years later, he's back, and he's got his new film. What I want to tell you, though, is he primarily directs music videos and commercials. And I'd say there's a fair chance you've seen one of his music videos or commercials. But on the music video side, I mean, it's like, who hasn't he worked with? U2, Britney Spears, 50 Cent, Muse. And somewhere back in his catalog, he did music videos for the Backstreet Boys. He's been doing this for a long time. He's got a great visual style. So he's finally able to complete Detention, which he says in his interview, he describes it as a movie that uses the framework of a horror film to get things done. The film stars Josh Hutcherson from The Hunger Games, Dane Cook, and Shanley Caswell. She's new. I hadn't heard of her before. I I hadn't seen anything that she'd been in before. She's just, she's new. And she's great in this film. You'll love her. So I got to talking with Joseph. We did the interview in downtown Boston at a hotel. And the thing is, is we didn't do the interview in a hotel room. We did the interview in like a, like a vestibule off the side of the lobby. So there's a sound issue. There's the unavoidable background sound issue. But I think everything turned out okay. I think it's good. I think we're good to go. Let's get to it. Is that Josh on your shirt? It is Josh on my shirt. I designed it. Really? It's like a uh, uh, 80s... I wouldn't even say 80s. It's like like iron-on style. Yeah. Clapton. Cool. It's kind of Leaf Garrett. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, so I saw saw the movie last night, and um, it's a rush, you know? I mean, it's very... um, the whole idea that you're going for like like some serious postmodern everything. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a very it's busy, but it's intelligently busy, and it seems to me like as I was I was watching it with my girlfriend Sarah last night, we were like, wow, this this speaks to people who have a constant influx of information. Yeah, uh-huh. um, look, uh, to watch the movie, first of all, you have to have a certain pop IQ. Like if you if you're not if you're not aware of pop culture on a certain level, this movie will fly right past your head. And um, mm-hmm. and I was pretty uh, unrelenting about that. And in terms of the actual pace of the movie, I wanted to make a movie. One, it's a younger film, and it's definitely a high school movie for teenagers. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there's a, a bracket for over thirty, because um, I'm over thirty, uh, which will watch people will watch it a little bit differently than say someone that's you know eighteen to twenty five. But ultimately, it's catered toward an eighteen twenty five perspective. In that, um, I wanted to make something that felt like how they process the world because I feel that someone in today's world process the world very differently than someone in the it's, 90s to me like I, I don't know how I, I grew up in the 70s 80s I, I don't know like that I thought I was getting a lot of pop culture uh, for these kids it's like insane and I wonder if there's like a breaking point where everything is um, every, everything is um, how did you say it I, th- I thought there was one moment in the film or maybe it was in the press notes where you said somebody said that it was um it was uh it, it, it was like postmodern irony mm-hmm. it, get, it gets to the point where all you can be is ironic does well, that look, make any well, sense but look at the world that the kids live in today okay like yeah. say for instance in the 80s 90s and 70s mm-hmm. if you wanted to know anything about pop culture it took a little bit of work 
You know, MTV was constructed in the 80s to get that pop culture to you directly on a feed, right? Yeah. But before that, if you wanted to know anything, you would have to seek it out. Like, say, for instance, you're a kid in 92, and you wanted to know something about Led Zeppelin. You couldn't go on the internet. The internet didn't exist, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, you would have to go to a record store, and then you would have to find someone that knew anything about it. You might have to go to a library. You might have to go to a concert if they ever came by. Like, how would you find out about Led Zeppelin? From, uh, the as a kid the funny thing is, is that it actually requires physical effort. Physical effort, sure, absolutely. Today, if you want to find out about Led Zeppelin, you open up your phone, go to Wikipedia, and you know like pretty much the entire history of what Led Zeppelin in about five minutes. Yeah. That is the difference between kids today and kids, say, 15 years ago. It's a huge mm -hmm. leap in knowledge. And, um, and so if you look at things today, like stores like Urban Outfitters and, um, and Hot Topic, this sort of retro culture didn't exist 15 years ago because it wasn't readily accessible. Today, the technology allows kids to be retro. So when we talk about irony or postmodernism and things like that, it's pretty much the language they speak. Kids walk around with ironic t-shirts as if it's like nothing. And 15 years ago, you want an ironic t-shirt, you would either have to make it, you have to buy it, go to a vintage store. Now they they mass market it and that's the language that kids speak like uh, there's a there's an access to information that this film is all about and, and you know what it's it's so fast and and uh, and you can get the information so quickly and, and I think that like there's some people that believe and, I, and I'm thinking this because I just recognized Cornell West sitting downstairs uh, multi-bandwidth thing. In other words, you can get the information, but is it actually retained by the kids? Are, are they actually, uh, is, are there motor skills involved in learning other than just like, you know, tapping your fingers across the, the board? Are you retaining the information or is the inform does it stick in your brain or does it stick on your iPhone? Well, that's a big question that people have for teenagers today because they're very concerned about the ADD quality of their life and that, mm -hmm. you know, they live in a world of texting and flash HTML and, you know, different downloading and, and just uh, like if they watch movies for right. instance there, there's a very big risk that like most likely most movies they watch on one you know browser tab while skyping on the other right and yeah. maybe uh, yeah. like maybe like you know uh, browsing for something else on, on their third and fourth ones um, that's one of the questions that th this film poses um, that you know is there an inner life in a world that is so like you know like saturated with multimedia like that yeah. with, with when your attention span and i think that the film does say yes mm -hmm. you know like uh i think that like i'm doing all this sort of like hyper media stuff in there to tell a real story about a girl that that's lonely yeah you know K uh haley haley is her name shanley uh shanley shanley uh, her character's riley the actress is shanley where did you find her she is quite the screen presence she has a certain quality that I don't know it's sort of this combination of like she's she's very pleasant to watch and yet at the same time she has this self-effacing sort of sense of hu humor there's I, there's a smartness about her yeah I mean and I'm not familiar with her where where she she's a new she find uh, she, I had an audition uh, and she was one of the first people to audition hmm. and uh, you know you know there's always that thing on an independent movie where you're trying to find the biggest name possible to sell it and hmm. make sure the studios buy it but if I was going to be honest with the movie um, my lead character was her because she mm -hmm. gave the best performance. It was so natural and she is exactly the age. This movie is filled with like 18-year-olds playing 18-year-olds. It's not the Hollywood thing where you have 25, 30-year-olds pretending to be 18. These are real 18-year-olds playing that, that age bracket. Yeah. And so when they bring that intelligence to to the role, you're, you're not. it's not like a 25-year-old pretending to be 18 and therefore they seem wise beyond their years. These are 18-year-olds that are actually wise beyond their years. So it's authentic. Yeah. And she is a perfect example of that. And there's, a, there's just a certain sort of... 
there's a certain sort of spark to her when you when you look at her. Uh, you can just tell that there's thoughts going on behind her head, and and she's a reactive actress. Um, I I mean I lucked out finding her. Yeah, it's it's like when she when she's on the screen. I mean she, it's not that like I don't think any moment of this movie fell back on anybody being on screen and having to carry it because it's I believed that it's entertaining all the way through and it's very stylish. Um, uh, I'm wondering though is you've directed so many music videos is this like a culmination of styles I mean you really move stuff within the frame and things zip in and out and and things are are just very you know it's it's not standard and and I and I'm saying that as as in in, as a compliment I mean it's not um uh you know it's just not like setting up the camera cut 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 here I mean you're you're moving swiftly you know here's the thing about music videos it's affected me on two different levels one I obviously do think as a music video director because that's what I've been doing for 20 years so Mm -hmm. I'm very familiar with the semantics of music videos and on the technical level of editing and things like that Mm -hmm. but you know as a music video director I'm also a filmmaker I've always been a filmmaker I went to NYU film school for a year and a half not that that really means anything Mm -hmm. but I studied film and I studied film my entire life and and, um, what music videos has afforded me to do is do a constant everyday thing where I'm shooting all the time and I and by the way I've crossed over to commercials way more than I do music videos lately so there's a lot of commercial lexicon going on in the movie too Um, but that sort of ability to just keep shooting every week is a unique position and I'm very aware of it like from project to project from project to project like for instance most filmmakers may get to shoot like you know two to four months and then they they wait two or three years to do their next movie you know like mm-hmm. if a filmmaker does five movies in like a decade that's a lot and didn't uh, I'm reminded of something that like Robert Rodriguez no who was it uh, the guy who made um, oh Christ I can't remember his name Miguel Arteta is that, is that he had said that uh, he usually says to aspiring filmmakers that if, if you want to get into the business make 50 movies in a year and then come talk to me just mm-hmm. be busy 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 and see what you do and, and, and learn how to do it through the process of living it and then come back to me. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely. You, you know that, uh, the Malcolm Gladwell book, uh, Outliers? Uh, how uh, I have it. I haven't read it. Well, it, he, <laughs> the basic thesis uh, that he says uh, is that a lot of people that are experts in their fields do 10,000 hours of work, which comes out to something like eight hours a day for 10 years before really? they become really good at what they do. And hmm. it just it's something that you just can't bypass. Um, and I, I tend to think that's true. Like, the reality is, may, this is my second movie, but I've been shooting every day practically for 20 years. So mm-hmm. when you see all that stuff on screen, that's, yeah, that may, that may be the first time you've seen me do a marathon, mm-hmm. but I've been running hills and doing yeah. sprints constantly, you know? Do you, I mean, this sounds like, because because it's your career and obviously it's something you love, are you, like, film 24-7, basically? Do, do you take time out for anything else, or is this an all-consuming entity in your life? It's, uh, it's interesting in that I, I constantly have filmmaking on my mind, yeah. but... Um, Film itself is not my only obsession because this movie is not like, for instance, as meta as this movie is, it's yeah. not a movie about movies. It's a movie about pop culture and the way we see the world. It's about fashion. It's about music. It's got a lot more things going on. Well, there's on. so many references. I think that maybe people are going to see that it's are going to perceive that it's a movie about movies. But I think like you can, I, I believe you can take a step back. I mean, I like to think, always think in terms of like metaphors, like the slasher Cinderella in this film is a, maybe it's a metaphor for something. Maybe, right. maybe, maybe it's saying 
you know, we, we got to break out of this. And, and, and this killer is like a representative thing as to, as to how to tear away from an old life or something. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I think that it, it, uh, the movie has concerns that are more along the lines of how do we process information or what, what things mean. Like, for instance, mm-hmm. there's a movie within a movie within a movie sequence. But that's not really about movies. That's about downloading. Yeah, you know? yeah. That, uh, that's interesting. And that some stuff, I think, is going to play really well. But but did you think that maybe this this could be so right now that like a year from now it might not be right now? Oh, I completely you know? expect that to happen. And that's one of the things I wanted to do with this film is I wanted to make something that's so completely right now mm-hmm. that people right now will look at it and go, okay, this is very much my life. This is very much way I see it. And in four years from now, I guarantee you most people will look back and go, look at what he's wearing. Oh my God, that's ridiculous. Listen to what they're listening to. It's yeah. so so passe. And five years, it, this will, will be so uncool. But guess what? In 20 years, it'll be retro again and everybody will like it. <laughs> you know, in, the, in a funny way, that's like how Torque comes back. Yeah. You know? I mean, do you, do you think that there's something that can be so absurd that it goes into that it breaks through the wall just comes back and is entertaining I mean and also I want to ask you is since since torque is like you know it's it's a visual thing do you do you love that movie? Do you ever get sick of it? That's two questions. I, I love <laughs> my movie, Torque. I really do. I, I think it's a highly misunderstood movie. Yeah. You know, and, and it was misunderstood by audiences, critics, and the studio while I was making it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I fully went in there going, I'm making a uh, postmodern, uh, humorous take on pop culture using motorcycles and ice cube. But if you really think about it, like who is the demographic for a movie like that, you know? Just me. Yeah, so I yeah. spent $30 million a studio movie making a, a very strange movie that only a handful of people like. But I think eight years later, it's turned into a cult movie. I think a lot more people mm-hmm. have gone on board and said, okay, uh, the movie is actually smart in its own way. Look, here's the thing. Um, uh, you know, I, I can only make the movie that is entertaining to me. And unfortunately, yeah. Uh, some of the choices that I make um, uh, that I think are funny, I, I can't really wait for the audience to uh, to like it or not. You know, like I, I can only do what I feel is honestly funny to me. Right. And if right. they get it, then hopefully it it's great. You know, if they don't get it, then hopefully they'll get it at some point. You know, and, or, or maybe I'm just wrong. But whatever it is, as as a as but a at filmmaker, some point along the line, you got to hope that you know it's going to make the money. I, and I just hope that you know you know you, you know? hope that. It's more of a matter of timing, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, Torque, when it came out in 2004, that was, was right it, at uh, the tail end of, like, the Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears and all that. And yeah. if you remember in 2004, music had gotten to a point where everybody was saying, oh, now we're cool. Now now we're real. And people started saying things like, Sum 41 is pop punk and Avril Lavigne is punk. And now we're doing real things. And, we're, hmm. we're, and everybody had this whole perception that they were, like, suddenly, like, lifting up the veil of the pop world and now we're being truthful. But actually, all that was lies too so when Torque came out everybody saw, saw all these Pepsi logos and everybody was expecting this Bruckheimer thing you know? and they weren't like looking at it and going I was acknowledging it and I was having fun with it and commenting on it and except they would see a, a Pepsi logo and a Mountain Dew logo and say oh my god they're being sold as opposed to hey he's making a joke out of it you know Do you eight, think- eight years later now I think that um, that people get the joke yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a very tongue-in-cheek movie, but I'm intrigued by the idea that can, can at that time, when that was being made, do you think that, like, everybody was, or everyone was all, like, uh, under the shroud of the idea that this was, this was the breakthrough thing? What do you mean? Uh, in the sense that, like, um, 
what you were saying about telling the truth. And, and this was like, this, this is like, this is the thing that breaks out. We're all being truthful and truthful. And as time went on, you can take a look at that. And then there's some other truth. And it, it, do, you know, do, you know, do you know what I'm trying to say? I, I think, In other words, hindsight gives you a different perspective well, on something that you're trying to be really contemporary with I think the time. social meme changes from era to era depending on uh, what the motivation of, uh, of general pop knowledge is or just Interesting. I- yeah. internet culture is. Yeah. Like we're really influenced on the internet. If you remember around 2004, mm. it, you know, DSL had only been out for like five years or something like that. Yeah. You know, things like Wikipedia weren't really around. So people like had so much influx. It, it wasn't fast. People had so much you influx know? of information. And, <clears throat> and remember like you know, 9-11 happened like two years ago and just around that time people started thinking that you know, they, it was an opportunity for them to suddenly think that they were smarter than the media, you know? So people came yeah. up with their conspiracy theories and their loose changes and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. And now uh, I think uh, we've, we've graduated to a point where we're now in the more social media aspect of it. Like before it was just about like, like overriding the press and the media and the conglomerates and Torque like fell into that sort of group where it was pumped out by a big studio and everybody thought, okay, here's another piece of schlock. The studio is like passing it through its soulless and we're gonna dismiss it. Hmm. And eight years later, now it's like this whole social media thing. It's on another level with the Coney 2012 and stuff like that. You can tell that the mentality is still people trying to find a footing but maybe build their own reality. And that's what the film is about. Detention is about people trying to build their own reality. Hmm. Interesting. You know, did, did you see that uh, in, in the creation of this film, it, it has a sort of this like systematic knowledge of horror films and it plays on that. And, and I think you try to take it one step further than what, say, something like Scream tries to do with what we know is the the typical things that happen in a slasher horror film but in in trying to take it one step further does that lead to a certain disgust from the characters do you know you know what i'm saying like a certain um well here's uh, the thing uh, we are selling detention as a horror film, but it's not really a horror film. Like, you, I, I, I was admittedly kind of like, I don't know what to think. I mean, <laughs> it, it is horror, and it goes for the blood, and the blood flies, and there's a lot of slashing and stuff like that. But then if you that, go to, like, there's like about 50 minutes of a 93-minute movie where it turns into Back to the Future, you know? Yeah. So, um, uh, like, if you really want to sort of discuss the, the nature of detention, it's a high school movie, but mm-hmm. what, what I wanted to do was... When you say a high school movie and you say, I'm making a high school movie, what genre are you talking about? Because high school is multi-genre. Like some people are living in a horror film. Some people are living Ferris Bueller. Some people right. are living, you know, a romantic comedy. Some people are, are living, you know, The Fly. Some people are living I Was a Teenage Werewolf, etc. Cameron Crowe. Like, and the reality is, in high school, yeah. all these kids all live in their own genres. They do. Like, oh, that's an, in- that's an interesting way to look at it. who you are, yeah. you live in a different genre. Your high school experience is a genre. So what I wanted to do was make a macro version of that where everybody lived in their own genre. And the idea here is to get people to look outside their genres and by doing that look outside their own little worlds and see each other for the first time and yeah, that's the movie that's very interesting you you have the body switching mm-hmm. you have uh, uh, the back to the future type element yep. uh, and 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 Oh God, and, and I think it's the it's the, it's the slasher film uh, genre part that sort of controls the other parts. It, it's it's my it's my uh, scaffolding I use okay. as an excuse to get into everything else. 
Really? Yeah. It's a it's a plot device uh, that that frames the entire thing, but ultimately I'm not concerned a hundred percent with the slasher genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm more concerned with kids' lives. Hmm. Can I ask you this? Would you do? You, would you ever actually be able to do something that wasn't like surrealist? I mean, could you do? Could you just take all of this and say, you know what? I know this. I've done this. There's there's a whole lot of stuff here that that comes together, and it's uh, and it's. I, I just can't think of another way to describe it as other words like fast surrealism. But could you do away with all of that and make a contemporary film? Well, look, I'm a trained. Can you? I'm a, well. I'm a trained filmmaker, and in commercials, especially, I do multiple different types of filmmaking. You know, like I, I, I do. Right. I, 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 you know, one minute I could be selling, you know. Uh, a, a soft drink and the next minute I'm selling insurance you know and obviously mm. those are two different tones and styles and meanings and stuff like that I know some people go shake their head and go oh like he's t- comparing commercials to movies but look it's all storytelling at the end of the day whether it's 30 seconds 5 minutes 30 minutes or whatever it's like the the tonality of reality is what I go for you know mm-hmm. so right now um, would I want to make a realistic like dour film um uh, I, it's not in me right now because I, I would just be bored. You know, like, like mm-hmm. filmmaking is a huge chunk of time. This took five years for me to make, three years to I don't think it. you could be bored with a film like this it, because it doesn't, it doesn't allow that to happen. Look, this was half a decade of my life to make this. Really? And I didn't want to spend half a decade of my life depressed. You know, yeah. like, I just, you know like, I, like I only get one shot at this life and one shot at this movie. I want to spend it in something that I genuinely can get joy out of. I got joy out of this movie. I hope other people watch it and get joy out of it too. It's, um, it's very entertaining. Yeah, it's but I'm not the guy that wants to sit around and, and mope for you know two hours at all so <laughs> and i'm not going to do that for five years now um if there's a compelling story that i truly believe in i can switch my style but i have to believe it and it has to come from an inside place mm-hmm. like um as, as and that was the that was the flaw of torque if i did that movie correctly according to the studio and according to people's expectations i should have taken more of a straight-faced you know fast and furious perspective of it but i made something that was more truthful to the way i i like to see things and and it backfired on that detention. Hmm. You know, uh, I did the same thing. I made it exactly the way I wanted to for my mentality. It may backfire again. I don't know. I don't know if people are going to come. Do you, see this do you mean not. backfire in the sense that the studio didn't get the film they wanted, and and, they, and therefore they believe that they didn't get the money they wanted? I think the studio kind of? didn't get what they wanted, and I think the motorcycle fans didn't get what they wanted because I think the motorcycle fans really, really want a serious. Well, then, then who is the, who are the. Uh, who are the uh, who are the cultists? Who are the cultists? For Torque. Weirdos like me. <laughs> People that like that that look at like a motorcycle movie and want to laugh. <laughs> well, yeah, I I I'd, I'd have thought that this would have played right into the hand of motorcycle gangs or or, or the, the oh. not not gangs, but no way. You know, the the the, the, the worst the, critics of Torque <laughs> are the people that go, "Oh my god, uh, you can't ride a motorcycle in dirt or, you know, uh, you, you can't physics. jump you can't jump on it." You know, it's like and look, uh, yeah, I'm an Asian guy. I know my physics. Like, yeah. I, obviously, I was violating them on purpose. Movies have their own set of <laughs> physical laws, and uh, I think maybe that was just crazy physics. Yeah, you know, it was it, it was torque physics. Torque physics, yes. Um, Joseph, can I ask you um, where um, where are you from? Where did you? Uh, I, I when did you decide that like long ago as a kid? This was my future. Uh, well, I mostly raised in Houston, Texas, from really? say I think eight to seventeen. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it, back in the 80s and 90s, and that was a miserable experience for me, very lonely. So as most lonely kids do, they gravitate towards other people that actually speak back to them, and that would be my television mm-hmm. and, uh, and movies. So that's where I started. Um, I've lived a good chunk of my life in Los Angeles, Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much my home now. You know? Did you go? Did you go from Texas to? Um, no, I went to film NYU? school at NYU. Yeah, yeah. and um, I was there for a year and a half. Dropped out, and then went back to Texas. Really, dropped it. out? Why? Why? In, can I ask? Uh, why? Wouldn't I, you think I, that the cu- com- film community there would be active enough to? Uh, totally ran out entertain of cash. You? Just ran out of cash. That's okay. an expensive school. Back then, it was like. 28000 dollars a year, and you uh-huh. didn't. You still had to pay for your own movie, and I barely squeaked through financially getting in there. So uh, once I got there, I sort of like snuck into all the other upper classes and yeah. just and just gauged what the uh, curriculum was. Um, shot uh, a bunch of films for um, older film students. Hmm. Uh, got the knowledge I wanted. Dropped out, and then decided to make my way. Well, how um, um, how, how risky a move for you do you think it was to 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 go to LA and, and do what you, do you feel like you were, you were uh, taking a huge risk in doing that? I mean, the that minute a, that you say I'm going to be a filmmaker, uh, you are just rolling the dice because it's harder yeah. to become a filmmaker than, I think there are more active dictators of countries than there are working Hollywood like directors that get to make a movie every year. Like Hollywood makes like 200 movies a year and you get one director on it and that's mm-hmm. it. You know, you're, comp- you're competing with everybody else in the world for a slot of 200 jobs, you know, and, and, and those jobs are so few, so hard to get. Um, the minute you see I'm a filmmaker, everything is a risk. So, you know, if you're going to go risk it, you might as well just like, like do what I did. Like I, I had no backup plan, <laughs> you know, like I dropped out of film school and just yeah. went ahead. Wow. Wow. I, I mean, I, uh, <laughs> My first thought was, how in the world do you sell yourself, you know, to be able to to do that? Like, can you just quickly tell me, how did you get your first your first gig? Um, <clears throat> I um, I worked in a movie theater, uh, and I oh, started reading a lot. It's funny. Sell oh, which, out of curiosity, which theater? Uh, it was just some Houston movie theater. Oh, okay. My father, yeah. uh, my my stepfather was actually a paper salesman. He had Michael Scott's job from The Office. And so every morning I would hear him like sell paper on television, uh, not <laughs> television, uh, on the telephone. Yeah. And I heard him making jokes and things like that. So I always knew that selling is a big part of life. Yeah. Um, so when I worked in a the movie theater, I read all these books, like these health, self-help books about like, like how to succeed uh, without going to Harvard Business School, like things like that. And they, yeah. they would always yeah. have these like funny little tidbits, like, you know, shake hands and look people in the eye and do all these things that you wouldn't really understand as a filmmaker. It doesn't seem like any part of it. But Later I just, on, it becomes like huge. Yeah. important. So I can't I, overestimate I, I, I just read so many of those books and then formulated a plan of how to sell myself. Yeah. And um, I saved up 500 bucks, uh, read books on, I mean, I was constantly reading books. I, um, like half of them would be film books and half would be business books. And I opened up a bank account and I went around town and finally got myself a gangster rap video for $15,000. And I made it for under that. Uh, and I started my own business. And, and I think a year and a half later, I'd done 30 rap videos. And <laughs> that's when I decided to go to Los Angeles. Now, these rap videos, by the way, were gangster rap videos. And I was like this nerdy Asian kid right out of his teens shooting in the worst parts of Houston, Texas um, with mm, felons wow. and people coming straight out of jail into the videos. But I was so naive and so socially awkward. I had no idea that... Uh, that gangsters really were gangsters. I thought, you know, when they rapped about drugs and killing, that that was just, you know, made up stuff. But it wasn't. <laughs> well, Joseph, thanks. Thanks for taking the time. I Thank appreciate you. it. There you have it, folks. My talk with Joseph Kahn. The guy's got a great 
personality, definitely a certain vivacity about him. And it's like he's all about film. He's got this excitement for film that's like infectious. It's a good infection. And you'll definitely see that in detention because, I mean, that movie goes to some strange places. Definitely some wild and strange tangents going on there. So thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget to check out the latest issue of Diabolique magazine at HorrorUnlimited.com. Now, I know if you say that really fast, it sounds like HorrorUnlimited.com. But it's horror. That's what we do. I'm Stephen Slaughterhead. Until next time, so long, everyone.